I mean, I was kind of sick from really young child up until probably 15, 16 maybe. So I missed an awful lot of school and I just had this like chronic cough. They thought I had asthma, a version of asthma. And it was only years later that I went to a specialist and they thought, actually, hang on a second, this mightn't be asthma. And it turned out that it was a sinus issue. So I had surgery then to open up the inside. And after that, that seemed to fix everything. But I mean, I was I was 16 when I got that done. Just shortly a, a bit into fifth year that I got a call from F104 to offer me weekend breakfast because I'd been on Pulse FM for two years beforehand. I was 15 when I started on Pulse. My mum and dad said, listen, we've been talking over the weekend and we think maybe you might be better off just leaving school. And if you were available in 104, you might get other work. So, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, mean, I took the hand off them. I didn't even have to think about it. Jenny Green has spent the last 20 years as one of Ireland's most respected and beloved DJs presenting the biggest shows on Irish radio, packing arenas and festivals with both her electric disco tour and her now legendary RTE concert orchestra shows. As you'll hear, it all started with that first set of decks at the age of 12. By the age of 17, Jenny was given her own weekly dance column in a national newspaper and shortly after that she became the youngest DJ on radio, landing the weekend breakfast show on Dublin's FM 104. It certainly wasn't all plain sailing though. I mean, I feel really privileged to be honest that she chose our show for this very rare interview. Like she she basically never talks about herself. In fact, I kind of find it extraordinary really when you consider how inspiring this story is to hear the full uncut version of this conversation and you really need the further 40 minutes about her decision to leave and come back to RTE how she met the love of her life at 14 and why the Irish press basically gave her no choice but to come out at the age of 30 and lots lots more pop over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad you can get a 15% discount when you sign up for the year right now you get access to hundreds of episodes, interviews with the greatest Irish people ever to have lived, including music legends Boy George, Melda May, Hosier, James Vincent McMurrow, Jape, Duke Special, Damo Dempsey, Lisa Hannigan, and many, many more. Next weekend, I have a big show of my own in central London as part of the Underbelly Festival. September 25th, me, a band of man, Kate Barn, and many more surprise guests. It's going to be huge. Go to underbellyfestival.com for tickets. Get all the London heads out. September 25th at the Underbelly Festival. It's the return of the crack. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! 
Jenny Green, thank you so much for doing Irishman Abroad. Uh, I know it's a busy morning there. You've just put your shows on sale with the orchestra again. What does it feel like to come back to it now? And can you picture what what gigs are going to feel like? And is there any trepidation? There's yes to all, <laughs> to all of the above. It's funny because I, I remember the last gig I played and it was about a week before sort of COVID really hit. And I remember that night in particular, I was playing a gig with Al Gibbs and I just played three gigs back to back overnights, which doesn't sound a lot, but it is when you're working six days a week mm. as well. And I arrived down to that gig that night and I met Al there and I was just, I was so wall fallen and exhausted and I just, my eyes were watering. I was so tired. And I said to him that night, you know, we'd a load of gigs booked in. I said, look, I'm, I said, I know we're off next weekend, but I said, I, I need to take a serious break. I can't just keep doing this at this rate. It's too much. And then, listen, I shouldn't have said a word. That was it. That night was the last one. Had I known, maybe I would have viewed it differently. But here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing, though, Jenny, right? I don't know if you felt this, but like the, there, there you are describing a tiredness that it is hard for people to go Oh, you poor thing, you do gigs and <laughs> out out partying every night. But I feel like so many people in entertainment and the arts over that 18 month period came to realise I was chasing my tail. I was maxing out the credit card that is my energy to a point where I'm not sure that was that healthy. They all said, well, we learned loads from it and we'd never do that again. But do you think that is the case for you or will you just plunge headlong back into that again? I know I remember at the beginning, you're so right, because everyone said and I said it as well. I said, well, well when gigs come back, I'm not going to do anything like I did before, because I think the the previous year running up to COVID, I had done 56 gigs that year, but I'd also done, you know, however many radio shows, mm. you know, six week on top of it. And you just end up on this kind of sort of it's like a little conveyor belt and it keeps going and then there's more gigs coming in and then you it's not even that you just end up feeling like you can't say no and mm. you you went doing loads of them so then even all of the gigs that I had planned that got cancelled they all then had to be rescheduled so then you know when you sort of said well I won't do more than one a month well suddenly it was like yeah well there's 40 odd dates here that that have to be moved so you kind of can't say well I'm I'm not doing them now and I, I can't really, you know, sort of go, well, I'll just I'll do that one and I'm not doing that one because I, I committed to do them. Most of the tickets had already gone on sale. And, you know, and I, I do want to do it. And I am. There's elements of it that I'm really looking forward to. But I think I might do it slightly differently than I used to. And, you know, myself and, you know, my wife were even discussing this the other night. We started to look ahead and I went, OK, I've no weekends off now until April once we get back mm. and I started looking at it like that and I thought oh that, that's going to be an awful lot and then we said well let's maybe let's frame it differently so instead of writing off a weekend we were like let's let's make the weekend away the gig so let's go both of us let's do things during the day play the gig at night then go and do the next gig the following night and it feels kind of more like you're utilizing 
the time as opposed to me just going, I have to drive here, I have to play this, getting home, like a lot of times staying depending on where it is, but sometimes getting home at five o'clock in the morning and then getting up and doing it all over again the next day. And yeah, it's not good for anyone to do that because even you're going into a gig and you're exhausted before you've even started. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what Kelly's saying with the idea of the weekend away. And Tina often suggests that that she's like, oh, Cardiff, <laughs> let's do a weekend <laughs> in Cardiff and we'll find a nice hotel. And and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, we've done it. And you go down and it's oh, hanging over your head for the whole day. You're like visiting some castle during the day. And you're just like, this isn't this is actually just more anxiety like, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to burst your idea here for April, but there, I'm I've been going oscillating between super excitement to have gigs back and genuine overwhelm and fear for, first of all, the precariousness of the shows and also just not coming back to it, not learning anything. If if anything, just forcing everything down the funnel and bottlenecking all of these postponed shows. Is there any fear in you, Jenny? Oh, there's, there's loads of fear. And I always have fear anyway, even before COVID happens. <laughs> I, I, I live on fear and stress. That's literally, that's my, just, that's my baseline, you know. And like every, every single time I play a gig, and it doesn't matter how many I do, I get so worked up beforehand. I get completely overthink everything I always feel it has to be like perfect it has to be brilliant and what if people and I always I've got a, another issue is that I have two totally different age groups who come and see me so I've got really young people and much older people and to try and incorporate that into a set can be difficult so no matter mm. what I do somebody leaves pissed off you know yeah. I'm, I'm much prefer playing new music I have to cater and play a little bit of older but then I never play enough older and then I just get abuse afterwards <laughs> going oh we were she played this awful lot of shite for the night and I'm like lads give me a break like do you know and I I do I overthink and I want everyone to be happy but life isn't like that you know I wish I was one of those people who just didn't care what people thought that must be liberating well, I never even thought about it I never even thought that that like that that's the side of DJing that we don't see <laughs> that, <laughs> that you, you have you been up there at times where you've seen people who are like in just I ask this because I know from telling jokes on stage that it doesn't matter how many people are laughing. <laughs> if there's the one person sitting fine. there with the arms folded, you're like, what's this guy's problem? I'm going to get this yeah. guy. <laughs> have you had a similar DJ version of that experience? Oh, like you can see them, you know, you look like I try sometimes and just not look out too much or not focus on them. Or I, fo I pick someone like near me who's having the best night of their lives. And I really try and focus on them. And uh, that keeps me up. Sometimes I need it more than others, you know. But I think if you've got, you know, an 18 year old and a 50 year old in the same venue, the chances of me playing something they're both going to like are slim to none. Mm. So you just kind of have that. But I look, I can't, I'm not making a 50 year old go to a gig, you know, and, you know, I just feel like I have to, I have to not tune into it as much or I'd have myself in an early grave. I mean, I remember playing 
Cork Opera House a good few years ago. And then I was playing the following year and they always have like an early show on and then my gigs on afterwards. So the next year I went and um, Sinead O'Connor was playing and the early show. So we went to her gig beforehand and we were up on the balcony. It was an incredible gig anyway, needless to say. But as we were leaving, there was two women in front of us going down the stairs. They hadn't seen me. I was right behind them. I wasn't paying any attention to them. And as we're walking down, one of them goes, geez, we came to see Jenny Green here last year. God, she was shite. <laughs> right? I was, I was right behind her. So I thought, OK, I just want to get some insight here as to why. So I just tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and I said, hiya. And she said, she just, her face dropped. But then I said to her, I said, don't worry. I said, I'm not upset about what you said. I said, could I just ask you what it is that you hated about the gig? I said, I'm, I'm just curious. So she said, oh, well, and, you know, she said, well, you, you just got up there and, and played music. And you didn't, you know, you didn't do loads of talking to people. I was like, it's a DJ set. It's not a radio show, you know. And I went, and then the thing is, there's nothing worse than a DJ on a microphone all night when you're just wanting yeah. to dance and you're like, Jesus, where do you just shut up? So it's getting the balance of saying hi, acknowledging people and not going on over a microphone because mm. I hate doing that. So that night I went on stage because I said, are you coming to the gig later? She was like, oh, no, I am. Yeah. And I thought, well, he obviously didn't hate it that much after buying tickets to come back. So I, I actually brought the microphone stand. I got them to put a stand at the front of the stage and I came out and made a big speech before I started for her. <laughs> no. And, yeah. So, and then I went, right, now I'm going to play a set. I hope that's fine with everyone. And it was, it was grand. We had a good night, but it's stuff like that. You're like, I, I don't know. You just can't win. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she was expecting the roadcaster. She was looking for, <laughs> you know, the, I just, she I to play quiz or <laughs> She didn't take any texts live on stage. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, like uh, I remember listening to Tony Fenton, God rest him, uh, because that was how we recorded music. (laughs) That was how that was our internet. (laughs) Tony Fenton and. He would always talk over, you know, <laughs> so much of the song again, like love Tony, couldn't love Tony anymore. I listen to that show every single day and with a- anxiety yeah. in me as to what's going to be you know, the, the number one tonight and uh, or whether he'd play what I needed him to play <laughs> to complete this mixtape. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but like, and then not talk over again. You're like, no, Tony, stop. <laughs> he featured on so many mixtapes. He didn't even he didn't even realize it. <laughs> stopping <laughs> them at the wrong moment, stopping them too when you thought he was coming in, because he would come in and go, that was, and then he'd leave a, a delay. <laughs> You're like, well, now that's unusable. I I yeah. when, <laughs> when I was preparing to talk to you, Jenny, I did try and you know, find out, you know, where all this began for you, because, you know, to develop a career and a life in what you're describing, this commitment to both on air and in club DJing, you've got to love it. I mean, there's no question you won't survive if you're doing this for the money or for any other reason. When do you remember music hitting you in that way that like it's like 
you know, seeing the person you're going to fall in love with? I remember for, it was my fourth, I think it was my fourth birthday, if I remember correct. And I have a great memory for like really random things when I was a really young kid. And my sister, who's only a year and a half older than me, I relay stories. She's like, was I there? I don't remember that. I'm like, God, Nikki, you were. But I remember my dad, my mum and dad for my birthday gave me this blue like Philips Walkman. It had like a, a strap around it. I think they got it with like Texaco tokens. And my dad gave me Paul Simon Graceland on cassette and I played that to death. And I was always, you know, in the back of the car, we'd be going on long drives. We had the, you know, the fuzzy orange old crappy headphones Hmm. and, you know, singing along full volume, not realizing how irritating that was for everyone else in the car because they couldn't hear the song. They could just hear me wailing. And I remember just getting into music from that age and then it, then it was like, it was Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, Dire Straits. And that was kind of where it started for me. Mm-hmm. And all the way along, I just played music constantly, no matter where I was. And obviously the music changed over the years. But I don't think, you know, it was until much later that I thought I'd actually make a career out of it. I always, you know, got played different instruments. Well, attempted to over the years and never found the right one. And then when I was, when I got to 12, I thought, God, I'd love I'd love a set of decks. My next door neighbor was a DJ and his mom and my mom were best friends. So I remember seeing his decks and I was like, I'd love that. But it felt like it might just be another fad. And even I thought that, too. But I got decks anyway for Christmas when I was 12. Do you remember what brand they were and how (laughs) whether they were any good? They were two stage line belt drive turntables. And the thing about the the belt drives was if you even remotely leaned on the record, it just went straight down into the player. You're like, oh, too much, too much. And I got like a little two channel Citronic mixer and I got a it was actually a guitar amp I had everything plugged into just for the speaker. And I had them up in my bedroom and then I, I played them like for years and I loved them. And, and the novelty never really wore off. And I then ended up. Um, but were you, were you, I, wait, hold, hold on, because like a 12 year old DJ was not a regular thing. Like the, the art, we grew up in the same Ireland and I remember the first kid <laughs> to get decks and it was a big deal. Rooker's got decks like this guy's name was Rooker and everybody knew Rooker's like a serious DJ guy, <laughs> even though, you know, he Is wasn't. He he's still I'm sure I'm sure he's mad it's still and always was mad into it because you know it was such a statement of intent to get the decks yeah. and the mixer it was like that's that's real deal you know especially when nobody had any of the things they wanted around the neighborhood where you did this then become Jenny Green's identity it was funny. It, it sort of became a thing, I think, on our road because there was um, there was another neighbor who lived on the other side of us who was she was a couple of years younger than me. And then a few years later, she got decks and then another neighbor two doors up. He got decks. So there was actually four of us in a row. I mean, the racket on the road was something else. And I don't think none of them are actually still doing it, but it was it was funny, like it was just this little pocket in Shank Hill of people with decks, you know, God help the rest of the neighbours. At least we our houses backed onto the dark line. So at least that kind of, you know, <laughs> drowned it out a bit. Did, so were you uh, were you <laughs> trying? Me, it's the tra- 
<laughs> were you trying to like what were you aspiring to be because so there's so many different avenues right that like was the goal to mix or were you looking to scratch and get into that kind of you know world championships end of things I remember watching actually the DMC World Championships at the time. They used to be on um, late at night. I think it was like Channel, Channel 4, 4 used to air. Yeah. And I remember um, watching them and I was like, God, maybe one day. And then, of course, I got realistic and serious and realized just the level of art involved in that. But mm. I remember there was one guy who used to win it every year, Qbert. Yeah. And, and you'd watch them and you're like, this is next level, like, off the scale I thought if I stayed in my bedroom for the next five years and just got meals passed under the door I wouldn't be able to do that <laughs> really? so you, you you like it is exceptionally difficult I don't think anybody really I think only people that have actually taken the time to attempt it understand that like it's it's kind of like a, a form of gymnastics <laughs> what they yeah do. That's exactly it. I was like, it's gymnastics mixed with a Rubik's cube. I'm like, look, lads, I enjoy watching it, but I'm not even gonna. But I think then there was after around that time as well. You go to gigs and you'd hear DJs trying to kind of do it over something, and you're like, oh no, don't, please oh. don't. Oh yeah, no, it's like a uh, bad improv. If it's yeah. done badly, it's like I never want to see this again. It's no, it's you're cringy. Like, please, please stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that quickly, you're disabused of that idea pretty quickly. But then there has to be, you know, there has to be the the next path, which is mixing clearly that you want to mix one song into the next and f fill floors. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I, I can't remember when I first maybe thought, oh, I'd, I'd love to do this in front of people. But I remember I would just spend hours and hours in my bedroom just trying to mix. And, and it was good as well because I learned to mix on vinyl. And I think the difference that that sort of that stands to you as, as time goes on, as opposed to maybe people starting out now and, you know, you, they've never used turntables or vinyl. They've never, you know, even some of them are just using software on a laptop mm -hmm. and it's fine, but it just doesn't have that, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion. I just don't really see the point of that. But what's um, the, di what's the difference? Like, have you, like, there's loads of people listening to this who have no clue why that would be beneficial to do it on vinyl rather than with an MP3. There's a real warmth and a sound and a feeling to to playing vinyl. And I think even more so if you go to a gig because you don't see them as much anymore. If you go to a gig and you watch someone playing a vinyl set, you are just far. You're just gripped. It's just so it's so different. It's so much more entertaining to watch. And I and also as well, like I even look back at all the stuff that I bought over the years and I've loads of stuff on vinyl that, you know, isn't on an MP3 or a WAV file. You can't download it or buy it anywhere. So you either play the vinyl if you want to play the track or you don't play it. And I love that. And I love even now still, I go into a few little shops in town and have a route through, you know, secondhand stuff. And, you know, I found like a really old, like Orbital Satan live there even a while ago when I was on holidays. And I was like, this is great. Like, you know, just stuff like that. And I just, and I think people are kind of going back to vinyl now anyway, too, in every respect, you know, even with just normal albums. There's just something much richer about it that it's very hard to to put just into words, you know. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't say, to be fair, as I'm saying this, 
I wouldn't go into a club now and play a full vinyl set. I haven't done that in, I think the last time I played a vinyl set would have been in Sin in Temple Bar. And that was probably, God, that could be four, 13, 14 years ago. I can't, I, I, I could be wrong on that. It's, it's a long time ago. Anyway. And that's a convenience thing though, right? That That's why that just wouldn't be something you'd do. It is, but it's funny. It didn't start as a convenience thing because when I was any time I played a gig, I like I played weekly in Sin and I played a vinyl set all night, and I had to carry like a really heavy box of records in. Now I'm five foot two and I'm not, you know, the strongest person in the world. So even like I'd get a taxi in and then like a security man have to come in and carry all my records in and then carry them all out. Like they weighed a ton. And then even trying to pack everything that you might need and like bring in everything and then trying to maybe put them in some kind of order that you can find them when you're looking for them. And they, they you know, so all of those things. And then, you know, what happened, what started to happen then was venues didn't have, they didn't have turntables when you went in. They might have one. Mm. And then suddenly you go in and you're like, oh, there's no, there's no stylus on it. And you're like, oh, great. Okay. Right. And suddenly I just ended up having to play CDs and then obviously that that progressed then for everyone from CDs to um, to USBs and it's just like you have to keep moving with it but I I find, I always find it hard to move on with the new I was like oh no I like what I'm doing and I now have to change it again but that's just the nature of everything really isn't it well like I know the lost in music part of this I think everyone listening to this will understand that when you describe you know Simon Garfunkel even the little Walkman and getting the decks and, as you say, spending hours in it. Every a lot of people, I think most people can relate to that sensation of kind of submerging yourself in this sound. And to some extent, most of us can appreciate that there have been times in your life when that's the safest place. Did you have a time like that? Was there a time when this, because I feel like that connection only gets established through those periods during those early kind of teen years? I know that you didn't have great health. Was there an element of music just being that place where none of that mattered? Do you know, it probably was because, you know, I'm thinking from like, I mean, I was kind of sick from a really young child up until probably it must have been kind of until I was about sort of 15, 16, maybe. So I missed an awful lot of school. And it was always I just had this like chronic cough that kind of nearly sounded like a whooping cough. But it would be like it could go on for like days for maybe, you know, solidly. And you wouldn't sleep and, you know, you'd be, you know, coughing so much that you'd be getting sick. And so I couldn't go to school or anything like that. So I missed, you know, a huge amount of school. And, you know, and my dad would stay up with me at night and we'd, you know, we'd put music on the TV and like we drink coffee like at like three o'clock in the morning, everything you shouldn't do. But, you know, it stood to me because I can drink coffee as soon as I get into bed and I'm gone for sleep in five minutes. What, what was um, it? Was it just a, a chronic cough? That's essentially what you had. Well, it was funny. They thought I had asthma, a version of asthma. So I was on uh, all asthma medication for years. I was also on and um, very heavy steroids for a long time. So I was really kind of, I was very overweight as a child from the steroids. And, you know, I used to always feel that when I was younger, because I, I didn't really, I didn't really get that that's what it was. And I used to think, God, I don't really, I don't really eat sweets. I don't overeat. Why am I so bloody big? Like, you know, mm. <laughs> but I obviously just, 
it was the steroids and it was only um years later that um I went to a specialist and they thought actually hang on a second this mightn't be asthma and it turned out that it was a sinus issue that I had which was causing a kind of a, a nasal drip which was what where the cough was coming from so they did a scan one day and realized that on my right nostril I had no opening at all so oh that God. was really where the problem was coming from so I had surgery then to open up the inside and after that touch wood that seemed to fix everything but I mean I was I was 16 when I got that done and it was like it had taken that long to figure out what the problem was unbelievable I mean unbelievable <laughs> and also a massive amount of hope for anyone who's you know struggling with something similar or feeling like you know you can feel when a doctor says this is what you have that that's that <laughs> and there's no way forward. I doubt that you ever thought in all of those years that, oh, we'll find a specialist someday who will clear all of this up. You must have felt that life was a little bit unfair that no one else has this. It's just me. You do a bit and you just feel a bit like you're missing so much. You're missing like, you you know, going out for friends birthdays or all you know going back to school after maybe been off sometimes for two or three weeks and you know there's like this big welcoming party going back and you feel like you know a new student in the class again and then you know a week later it happens again and you're gone again and you're like this is just too much you know and I think probably then you know music and DJing I mean I was at home for like weeks on end at, at kind of teenage years where I didn't need to be minded and obviously you know my parents had to work you couldn't have someone sitting with me all day so I had music then to keep myself entertained during the day and I'd sit and I had my dad devised this thing right because when I was drinking water I didn't cough so he had like a two liter bottle of water so he'd fill it up and he managed to make this kind of it was like a plastic tube from from an old nebulizer. So I could literally stand and do whatever I wanted to do or sit and watch telly and I just literally keep drinking water through this thing all day. And once I did that, I didn't cough. So I'd be up in my room on my decks just drinking water constantly. I mean, certainly, I certainly uh, flushed out the system anyway. <laughs> and, and I just played, I just played music and then I just felt like I was just getting better at it. So at least I felt while I was missing all this school, it wasn't a total waste of time. And it's, it's turned out that that was actually the answer in the end, which is great. So there you have it, the first part of my conversation with Jenny Green. You do need to hear the rest of this. There's almost 40 minutes extra to be found for our members on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. It's only a five or a month. Or you can avail of that 15% discount that we're offering for September if you want to sign up for the year and get full access to hundreds of episodes. You won't listen to all of them in a month, so you may as well jump on the deal. We are a crowdfunded podcast. We're not here without the support of our ultra sound members. So thank you to everyone who's about to go over and do that. If you like what we do here at Irishman Abroad and you want it to continue, pop over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and sign up today. Brian Connolly's on sound. John Mar does the extra research and Tina and Mikey make it all possible.